0: To Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever it is that you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, big thanks to Fee for the last three hours of maps. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and tonight we're catching up with some of the directors and films being showcased at this year's Melbourne International Film Festival. And I'm joined here in the studio by critic and festival programmer, Thomas Caldwell. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Flick. How are you? I'm good. It's
1: good to be back on.
0: Yeah, it's lovely to have you back on. And we're going to be going through a lot of highlights and maybe some lowlights. Who knows?
1: Yeah, no, no, I'll keep it positive. I okay. should say festival programmer elsewhere, not with Miff anymore. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> so we should I'm, clarify. <laughs> so I'm going to be completely objective.
0: <laughs> uh, we've also got another Thomas here, writer and director of This Is Going To Be Big, Thomas Charles. Charles Highland, welcome to Primal Screen.
2: Thank you very much. it's a pleasure
0: and this is this is going to be big. It' will be having its world premiere at MIF this Wednesday and Thomas you're going to be in, in attendance as well for the Q and A afterwards.
2: I'll be there. I will be looking sharp <laughs> <laughs> I hope um, and no no it, it, it's it's very exciting. A bunch of the what the everyone involved in the film will be there as well oh, the students fantastic. and the families and the teachers oh wow um, That's so very yeah cool. no it should be a really nice celebration.
0: I saw that tickets were on standby, but sometimes they'll come. There'll be a few more that open up, and I think there'll be a few more screenings both in Melbourne and regionally. So you've still got a chance to see. This is going to be big if you haven't got a ticket yet. And finally, the duo responsible for Cold Water, one of the many short films being showcased in the Myth Accelerator Lab, Jay and Sean Perry. Hello.
3: Hello, it's an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: It's lovely to have you both here. Um, and Thank late- you for having us. My pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed your film. And later tonight, we're going to get into exactly what the Accelerator Lab is and chat about your film, Cold Water, which stars Deborah Kennedy and the iconic Bruce Spence. I'm very excited to hear how you managed to get a hold of him. <laughs> now, Meve kicked off last Thursday with Shader by Nuri Niasari, um, a director who also came through the Accelerator Lab back in 2015. We're now on to day five of the festival. There's a few films that I'm excited about that you've already seen, Thomas, um, so mm. I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Shall we kick off with Blackberry?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I, I haven't actually made it to the festival as such, but you know, in my work in general, I have seen some of these films around the traps yeah. and uh, thrilled to see them screening at, at MIF. Uh, a lot of these films do have distribution, so they're going to pop up elsewhere, but if you want to see them in the festival environment, that's always a bonus. BlackBerry is the latest film by uh, the Canadian filmmaker Matt Johnson, who uh, his films tend to uh, feature at festivals. He did uh, The Dirties, which was all about school shooting. He did mm-hmm. the film Operation Avalanche, which was sort of a mockumentary about the faked moon landing. Oh, right. <laughs> and this is uh, uh, BlackBerry, which is uh, the origin story of the BlackBerry device. It's, this kind of thing seems to be really in vogue right now. I mean, ever since the social network, there seems to be all these films about how certain things were invented or, 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 um, or put on the market, whether it's, you know, there was the Air came out earlier yeah, this year. Yeah, and yeah. Um, there's been one on Tetris and one on... Cheetos, in, I believe.
0: Yeah, we're in that real nostalgia era, I feel like, we're with film digging back into particularly like the 90s, 2000s, I feel like they're particularly hot, so BlackBerry fits into that very yeah, nicely.
1: Yeah, oh, when the 90s get framed as nostalgic, I'm, I feel <laughs> my age. Uh,
0: I actually is... had a BlackBerry, I'm embarrassed to say. It was not – I didn't purchase it. I, I was given it through a job.
1: Yeah, I never used yeah. them. Um, look, what – this has a kind of raw, more raw feel to those other mm. other films. And I think the big selling points in this is you've got Jay uh, uh, Baruchel in the lead role uh, and also, um, I'm going to get his name, oh, yeah, Glenn Howerton from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, oh, yeah, yeah. who's quite unrecognisable. <laughs> it was one of those things where it took me about <laughs> half an hour of going, who is that guy, until I worked it out. And he's just this kind of boiling pot of rage and it's, there's something so fun about watching certain actors just explode with profanities and anger all the time. It's a bit like Malcolm Tucker. He's that kind of role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about the development of this absurd product um, that was kind of huge for a second and then um, it was an absolute, you know, they got, they got wiped off the map by the iPhone.
0: I think they were very lucky to really marry in with corporate organisations because it was this idea of like, oh, if you're anyone in the business world, you have a BlackBerry. When You actually got thing, to use yeah. it and you're like, this is so clumsy and difficult. But
1: there was some significant technological advances That's with true. it which they cover. Yeah. Look, I didn't mind this. I, mm. I like this probably less than a lot of other people. I, there's something about Matt Johnson's filmmaking I find a bit too dark and dingy mm. and he always acts in the films as well and I never really latch on to him. <laughs> Him as a, I don't like his characters. He yep. always, and he loves doing that reaction shot. He's one of these actors who loves putting the camera on his face to look kind of shock or disturbed. Mm. It's very, um, it feels a bit like the American office at points, which, yeah, which that's, is that's not necessarily a bad to, thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was the kind of like tagline at least that got used in the framing for this, which was um, a blend of the social network and, and the office.
1: It's sort of a lo fi version of the mm. office, if you like. Mm. Yeah
0: so that 's Blackberry, um, mm. and it 's playing uh, the festival now, and you can you, it's yeah as as you said, Thomas, directed by Matt Johnson. Um, another one I am very excited about, and I have heard already very good things about this. Um, Master Gardener.
1: Yeah, the new Paul Schrader film. I actually heard mixed things. I I went in people saying, you know, Mm. it forms a loose thematic trilogy with his two previous films, but this was the weakest one. I think I enjoyed this more than anything he's done for a while. Mm. It's very Paul Schradery. So, if you've seen any of his films recently and you don't like them, stay right away from this one if you're on his wavelength. Yeah. That kind of I mean, you know, it, it, when he wrote Taxi Driver he had that immortal line, I'm God's lonely man. Mm. All his protagonists are these kind of lone <laughs> men with violent backgrounds mm. seeking redemption often through romantic love. Mm. It's that all over again and Joel Edgerton is our lead character who's got this horrific background and it's about yeah, finding redemption through violence and love, which Mm. is every poor Schrader film for a long time, really, but I loved it. It just yeah. ticked all the boxes for me. And Joel Edgerton is one of these actors who I always forget how much I like him yes. until I see him on yeah. screen. And he is just so good every single time.
0: Well, last year we would have seen him in Thomas M. Wright's The Stranger. Oh, I mean, which, my God, that's my
1: an amazing film. film. Yeah, yeah, easily.
0: And he I love seeing him on screen. And you're right, you do often forget about him and then you kind of like he just owns the screen when he is there. And a really interesting choice for Paul Schrader's, you know, as we said, the third film in this kind of almost trilogy of films about masculinity or kind of masculinity in crisis. First Reformed from Myth 2018. That was one of my favourite films from that festival. Yep. Uh, The Card Counter I actually missed but... I did really. I kind of feel like maybe I should watch that before seeing Master Gardener just oh. to kind of get in that, that scene, that vogue. <laughs> why not?
1: I mean, I, I like all three of these films. Yeah. Um and, and, and again, Master Gardener does have a local distributor, but often these films don't get much of a run mm. outside the festival circuit. I don't know why. Look, I think Paul Schrader, even though he makes these raw masculine films, often about the, the male psyche, mm. which you think would be a, a you know. A given it will be a hot ticket, <laughs> he does still have a very intellectual side to his mm-hmm. filmmaking that I don't think is in vogue right now. And interestingly, one one negative comment I saw about this film was. The the person was like, I never felt convinced by his redemption, that he did this stuff in Mm. the past and he's now who he is now. Where I just kept on thinking, that doesn't matter. That's not the story. The story Mm. now is about this character grappling with his... I don't don't need to see the redemption process, the bit where he decides he was a bad person and now he's a good person. Mm. What is interesting about this film is somebody with a past trying to form a new life and do some good. Mm. So... Yeah, it's. They, I think there's more of a thirst these days for um,
0: closure of it.
1: Closure in every single detail filled in. Mm. I often say, you know, that, that the prestige TV series has spoiled a lot of audiences because we we need to see a half-hour mini episode to fill in all the backstory and give us all the detail That's, and context, yeah. and you don't need that.
0: And also, it's such a different format with prestige telev- television. television mm. in general, where you have stories that are, and characters are able to be developed over time, and you have this. Uh, sequential sort of events to it, whereas with film it's completely different structure to the storytelling. So you can't yeah. actually achieve that. In and it's
1: interesting that... actually. We've got some filmmakers in the yes, studio with us do. tonight who, <laughs> both in their own way, have made films that don't spoon feed you or fill in all the info. Right. It allows it to ha- you you become aware of certain things quite organically. And, and um, yeah,
0: and two very different ways of approaching yeah. it with short and then feature length. Um, we'll be getting we'll into, get into more that depth. in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we should mention Master Gardener does f- um, feature Sigourney Weaver.
1: Yeah, so it, Sigourney Weaver very much modelled on a sort of Tennessee Williams type ah. matriarch, or yeah. even, I mean, she's named Norma, so it's very um, uh, Sunset Boulevard type yeah. character with yeah. Joel Edgerton as her sort of kept man in these kind of unusual slightly creepy sinister ways that oh, um right. Yeah. Look, if you're a poor schrader fan, you've probably got tickets for this already. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> and I true. think you'll be happy. I know I was.
0: Well, another festival favorite, Kelly Reichardt, with showing up.
1: Kelly Reichardt is I remember a few years ago suddenly realizing that against all my expectations, she's a filmmaker who creates a happy place mm. film for me. Like, it's not the kind of thing I normally associate as what I go to when I want comfort cinema, but I love the way she views the world mm. and this kind of um, warm, inviting, familiar space she finds among the fringes. I mean, mm. you know, her stories are often very sad, that they're often very open-ended and tragic, but there's just this warmth and humanity about her cinema that I really love. Showing up, I think, is a minor film for her. Mm. And in many ways it's because it has got a more traditional narrative and some really obvious symbolism. There's, there's a lot of symbolism in it uh, that I, was kind of delightful but also obvious, I guess. Mm. Um, having said that, I also enjoyed a lot about this. It's set in the world of fine art and it stars once more Michelle Williams who is just a wonderful kind of protagonist, that's mm. uh, actor who's in most of her films, as an aspiring artist who works in administration for a big art school Mm. and it just captures that feeling of being passionate about art, wanting to express your own artistic... um uh process and and skills but being surrounded by people whose careers are already on the way and Mm. you're doing their admin yeah and that kind of being so close yet so far and her frustrations with being taken for granted um you know a landlord who she knows who isn't fixing her her hot water system for her all these micro kind of aggressions and annoyances um And just frustration. I actually found a lot to identify with that. So I think um, even if you're not from the art world, I think you're going to sort of understand that kind of, Frustrating point in her life that this film captures, mm. and it's a, it's a it's a really great portrayal of the modern art world as well. I think it's more successful than something like The Square, which I thought was a little bit too low hanging fruit in its kind of parody of art and pretense. It's,
0: and it's so much in the excess, you know, yeah. and that's part of the comedy of the square. And I like
1: I like Ruben Orsulens films, yeah, but yeah. The Square didn't I didn't love as much as that. Look, I think showing up is an okay film by Kelly Reichardt's mm. standards, by the standards of most independent American cinema. It's still way up there, and I would yeah. urge people: this doesn't. Have local distribution, so so go and they see have it. Have to see it at the festival. Yeah.
0: I, I, it kind of like hearing you talk about it, it makes me think a little bit about Kitty Green's film, The Assistant, from a few years back, which uh, Gee, very that, different that was tone. A good film. It was, and yeah. I, I, think about that way in which that critiquing of the industry is really interesting when you watch it on film. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely showing up. Will definitely be on my list because um yeah, sounds like there's a lot of just that unpacking of the industry in these different genres. And I love Michelle Williams. I think everyone does. Uh, Change of pace, how to blow up a pipeline. I was not across this film, so tell me about it. I
1: don't even know why this was on my radar. I think (laughs) it got a bit of buzz when it started appearing at festivals last year overseas. Um, So I went in as a bit of a blank slate. It's about a group of... It's another American independent film. And a lot of the actors, I think, sort of wrote and directed and produced. I think it feels like a very collaborative Mm. effort um it's about a group of activists who go to blow up an oil pipeline as an environmental status um and it's got that kind of battle of algae as vibe where it does feel very kind of raw and documentary inspired with the filmmaking and even though you're just getting their perspective there isn't mm-hmm. that sense of judgment so mm-hmm. the film isn't condemning what they're doing nor is it celebrating it it's just showing us this is what happens in this story of a group of activists who go to blow up a pipeline and The different characters in it represent very different viewpoints and reasons why people might be involved in something like this. And that's a detail that didn't occur to me after I watched the film. And I really liked that fact that when I was watching it, it was just a gripping story with Mm. these kind of thriller elements. But afterwards, it occurred to me, oh, that was really intelligent filmmaking, how different characters represented different reasons somebody might come to this kind of... um, this, this kind of form of environmentalism, which some people would call eco-terrorism. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there, there are people who have suffered health... You know, there are people who are terminally ill because of being exposed mm. to pollution. There's somebody who's very much a sort of salt-of-the-earth, good old boy American, whose land's been taken away from him, who's you know, is a vow Christian. They're sort of people who just like the scene. They're into mm. the partying and taking drugs and, and being radical lefties. So it's all these different personalities. And um, it was gripping. It's a film where I wasn't expecting there to be twists, but there were some really... Mm interesting revelations that the film earned. Mm. Um, I'll. Yeah, this, this is one I will definitely recommend people go to see. I think it would be great to see it again on the big screen with um, a, with a communal audience too.
0: And is it actually based on a true story at all or is it connected? No, I believe no. it's
1: based on a novel or a book. Um, I'm just going to quickly look online now to see if it's actually based on... No, there we go, non-fiction. So, wow.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I have heard a little bit about... Um, that sort of oh well, I suppose there's been a lot of talk about trends towards presenting that kind of eco you, you know you mentioned what was it eco tr- um, terrorism eco
1: terrorism is how it gets dismissed yeah, yeah
0: and it's kind of interesting when those films are just on the border you choose to present it in a narrative rather than a documentary style yeah it, it, is, it, it draw upon those
1: I must admit I'm you know I'm against terrorism and stuff but um, I am very sympathetic <laughs> to the cause in this film I mean yeah, and the yeah. whole time I'm questioning my own feelings about what they're doing. And the characters do discuss this. They discuss, mm. you know, is this going to be effective with our message? Is it going to be counterproductive? Mm. Uh, or who are we going to hurt? Yeah. I mean, we are stopping the flow of oil, but what's that going to do to certain jobs in the economy? And, mm. and is there going to be an environmental impact that's even worse through doing this? And, and they also discuss the nature of terrorism and whether they are that or whether there's something more. Yeah, and yeah so it's, it's, a, it's a very intellectual film that feels like watching a, a thriller.
0: Yeah, okay, I'm going to add that one as well, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Now, all of these films are playing at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which is on now until the 20th of August in cinemas and then online through MIFF Play until the 27th of August. Uh, For more information on those films and to buy your tickets, um, you can head to miff.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R, And MIFF is all we're talking about tonight. Um, Well... We're talking about a lot of the films and the directors uh, who are being showcased at Miff. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Thomas Caldwell and myself, Flick Ford. And because it's Miff, we have got a gang of filmmakers here in the studio with us: Jay and Sean Perry and Thomas Charles Highland. The track you just heard was RVG with uh, I can't remember which one I played. It's not easy. Uh, and just prior, Thomas Caldwell shared some of the films that he's watched so far for Miff, and the festival isn't just. just Just about spectators, it's also an opportunity for emerging filmmakers to showcase their work and the Myth Premier Fund is one way in which new Australian films are offered minority co-financing. Now, one of the five films that have been selected this year for the Premier Fund is Thomas Charles Highland's This is Going to Be Big. Um, Thomas, it's lovely to have you on the show.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, I mean, to finally have this... I say finally, but we actually didn't wrap it up that long ago so <laughs> but, it, but it's exciting to, to be at this point in the process
0: yeah i bet so, this is going to be big. It's a coming of age doco about teenagers who are preparing for their high school musical, The Time Travelling Trio, which is itself about students doing a project uh, on John Farnham. And they travel back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s and meet up with him at various stages of his career. Firstly, what a dream setup for a film.
2: <laughs> yeah, it almost, um, it almost sounds a bit Charlie Kaufman or something. It when
0: really you put it does.
1: I've <laughs> heard when I talk to, yeah documentary filmmakers, it's like, what made you choose this subject matter? And it's like, I don't need to ask that for no, this. It's pretty obvious. It's, it's a sensational subject. <laughs>
0: And we should mention that the high school is Sunbury and Macedon Rangers uh, Specialist School, which is in regional Victoria, and the teens at the centre of this doco uh, live with different disabilities and neurodiversity. Um, This is the first MIF Premier Fund film to be awarded Bus Stop Films Inclusively Made Certification, and that's in recognition of authentic representation and inclusive filmmaking processes. Um, I understand you didn't actually... Initially intend to make a film about disability, um, but how did you? How, kind of what was the starting point for this film then?
2: Well, I mean, the starting point, I guess, uh, about five years ago, I was pretty much sitting in a theatre watching a high, well, a primary school production. Actually, my sister is a music teacher in a in a school, and I was there just as a great brother, um, <laughs> and I. You know, I, I I was just amazed by how funny it was, and I I didn't know these 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 kids on stage. And then afterwards, I was speaking to my sister, and she would tell me little stories about what it what you know the process. And it starts just like you know with a casting sort of session, and yeah. I just you know instantly you just sort of imagine that, like that. I mean, it's just like it's on Broadway or something like that. <laughs> and then, and uh, it, what it means to students along the way. You know, mm. you get the role, and then all of a sudden you're a celebrity of, you know, grade three or whatever. <laughs> um, and your social stature goes up. Um, <laughs> you know, pretty much I just sort of sitting there thought that, like, this is such a great dramatic structure. Mm. And um, you've got this, you know, awesome way to introduce some characters, and you've got this great flash song and dance ending and around about that time i guess i was becoming interested in coming of age films i hadn't previously been you know sort of thought of that kind of genre as being you know speaking to me or whatever um but you know i like all those 80s comedies those Mm. kind of high school hangout films where it's um it's really just kind of portraits of confidence and 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 a a social group that's kind of moving Mm. somewhere you know Mm. where is kind of what they're trying to figure out and yeah, I mean that was that was the impetus, and then you know pretty much just started some sort of process of trying to find a school that would let me hang out with them.
0: Because you did, you filmed a lot of this during the pandemic, is that right, or was it, sti- it was it, it was, during some of the lockdown? I
2: mean, it was immediately after. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there probably was there, there probably. Oh god, it was it was the year that school went back. Like, right. Um, yeah. I mean. It's, I say it like it's ages ago. It was last year. Um, It it feels like
0: ages ago. It does. Apparently that's a real real thing from the lockdown is that we really don't have any of these time signatures that we would normally have of Mm. days being different. So very understandable.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, it was, you know, there was no guarantee that we were going to be able to continue for sure. Like, um, you know, there's a couple of... Ma- like as masks in the film which yeah. you know bug kind of visually bugs me but um don't worry about <laughs> <that>. um.
0: <laughs> well I, I feel like I mentioned before bus stop films and I, I realize that some listeners may not be aware of who they are I mean they set up I think it was in 2009 but they teach uh film to adults with disabilities and others from marginalized communities um, but they also use filmmaking and the film industry to change some of the attitudes that people might have about, um, you know, people who, ha- who are disabled and have requirements um, on set. And it was really interesting last year, uh, earlier this year. Sorry. Uh, We actually did a spotlight special on disability in film and I was joined um, that week by researcher Dr Rado Mira, and she shared um, findings from a report that was done for people who um, have a disability and are working in Australia's screen industry. And I was really interested in uh, this is going to be big because you have a scene, and this is going back to that whole thing of it being quite meta, you have a scene in which I think it's Chelsea becomes a bit overwhelmed while she's um, rehearsing and they kind of need to take a bit of a break. And I just wondered for the making of this film did you have what kind of support or strategies did you have in place because you've got this doubling up yes it's the first time that a lot of these teenagers are on stage but it's also they're in a film at the same time.
2: <laughs> for sure I mean this started so small in, in mm. that I was thinking about my sister and my mom and being in the school and, and you know that and that's that's you know that's for me what got me started but like to, to say that this is just, you know, my film or something like that is, is, just, is so inaccurate for how for, – for for the kind of structure, I suppose, that we put in place, had mm. to put in place um, because of these kinds of, you know, I guess just broadly speaking, duty of care. Mm. Um, and so, you know, Bust Up were amazing, you know, Fremantle and Truce, who are the production companies as well. Um, yeah, you know, like everything was kind of – given quite quite a lens and mm. um you know it was amazing and like I like I don't want to say that to sort of like sound like it's scary or anything like that it just mm. it was just something we took took seriously yeah. um you know I, I do think every documentary has those kind of concerns like when you're sort of telling other people's stories you're always leveraging mm. them and their, their their you know face and their their words and all of that mm. um but yeah, you know, there's added layers when, when you know when when you're dealing with um, you know younger younger people or just you know different yeah.
1: communities. Yeah. Something I think is amazing about your film that I'd, I'd be curious to know the, the, the how deliberate this was and the thinking behind it is that the film starts and we introduce to the staff, the students, and we find out it's a film about this bunch of kids doing um, a play, and it's not made explicit that this is a mixability school or that these mm. students. Um, a mixed ability, and it just dawns on you as you 're watching the film, oh, okay, I see something in common with all these students and then later in the film, absolutely you explore what it 's like to live with neurodiversity and the support from the family and the um uh, and the teachers, which is so many wonderful scenes seeing that, but by not announcing it up front, it becomes a film where the people come first, mm. and it radically changes the way you Encounter these characters because you just encounter them as a bunch of really interesting people you enjoy seeing on screen. So I am curious to know how conscious that you were about that.
2: Very conscious. Um, yeah. You know, I never set out to make a, a film about disability or neurodiversity, mm. and I still f- thought felt that through the process. Like I wanted, to, very much, wanted to stay. Wanted to make a film about being a teenager and growing mm. up and trying to work out what you're going to do next. It just happened to be at the school. It really did. I've got the spreadsheets to prove it. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and there's a mountain of you know kind of work that we you know you have to put in when you when you do sort of engage with with um you know d- d- different schools different people. Um, but no, I I've, I thought that was just a, I, I mean you, you nail on the head. It's sort of a, it's a person first thing. Mm. Like you know, I guess um, there are so many. Parts of people's identity or, or whatever, and um these they were only relevant in this film as much as as much as the students of the school kind of wanted it to be um I thought you know to me to, to my sensibilities that struck me as like one of the most respectful ways ways to kind of move move through that territory
1: anyway um
2: but, yeah, like I said, you know, it's just like how it feels to be 16
1: or 17, mm. like that's what I was yeah. captivated And that's by. what comes through so beautifully yeah. and naturally, yeah. I love yeah. that
0: um, there was a comment, Thomas, that you had found this a very cathartic and joyful experience making this film. I definitely understand where the joy is coming from. You get, you've get, you got such a fantastic uh, cast of students that you've managed to focus in on. You've got Chelsea, who's just hilarious. Um, Elise? Uh, Elsie, yeah, at least, um, Hallie and, and and Josh. I just thought each of them brings something different to the documentary. I'm interested in how it was a cathartic experience for you.
2: I guess, you know, um, it, it made me think about being in school myself in, mm. a, in a way that I didn't really expect. Like I don't ha- – you know, I'm not hanging out with um, t- teenagers – in my life (laughs) (laughs) so you know like or at least I hadn't really since being that age Mm. and and so I had a bunch of feelings and memories kind of flooding back to me and there's something quite you know really interesting that I I guess you know might like I've got young niece and nephews and and and, um, I'm aware of that sort of idea of when a new generation is coming on it makes you look at your own Mm. you know like what it what it meant for you to be two years old or something like that because you've got this externalization of it mm. um i I felt that way in you know in some some capacity um and so yeah like I guess as I was you know just here here meeting like these different students at where where they were in their life um and what was important to them and what mm. was troubling them, it made me think about myself at that age and mm. what was important to me, what was troubling me, you know. Everyone at that age is like, you're trying to work out. Maybe you know exactly what what you want to do or who you are, but you're wondering, is the world going to let me do that? Yeah, And, 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 yeah.
1: and so, yeah, it was. It. It's such a weird age too, because it it really is caught between childhood and mm. adulthood, and mm. and and that's what I again I really enjoyed about the film. It captured the fact that these are really intelligent, clued in people making some terrific observations but there is still a youthfulness and sweetness and naivety to them um they're they're right in that kind of that that, that sort of sweet spot that is both wonderful and highly awkward at the same time mm. <laughs> totally i mean yeah just
2: not just to not infantilize yeah. you know yep. sort of yep. feelings or or whatever just just because you will be older later doesn't mean that this isn't you know This is everything. I remember
0: having. I remember having that pointed out to me because so often um, teenagers are made fun of for the fact that you know, especially on film and TV, this idea of being like hyper emotional. But the reality is, it's usually the first time you're experiencing that. So it's all of these firsts, and of course, when you get to like our age, yes, of course, you know, there's been many firsts. So it's kind of softened somewhat. So you don't have those big emotional reactions. But it was, yeah, you're right. There's something special about that time in your life in which you're deciding what you want to do and so many doors are open so it really is quite overwhelming. Um, totally. I mean yeah. you can
2: see like in any in a year or two you're going to be you're going to be out, out there out there next next to all of us. <laughs>
1: so true. <laughs> I mean, this often happens when you see documentaries but this one especially I'm dying to know what happens to all these all these people all these young yeah. people in a few years. Um, so many of them just have these stories and I, you know I really want them to do well too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Can I ask? Did uh, did do you know if Johnny Farnham watched your film?
2: I know that his John uh, Farnham. Johnny. Come on, no. <laughs> Johnno,
1: right? That's
2: the past. Respect <laughs> to John. I, I know that his. I um, uh, with um, Gail Wheatley has she actually came to the the school's production. Oh, ah, um, all right. And so Amazing. yeah, he. he may not obviously, you know, like with John's... health. Um, throughout last year, like, um, mm. but I didn't, you know, that, that that's that's where that is. Yeah, um, yeah. But I know that – but we were in touch with them, like, as, yeah. as, as much as we could be. Yeah.
1: Well, you got um, to use all the music. I mean, clearly you yeah, got to Yeah, I know, they're very supportive. That's, they were amazing. I mean, we wouldn't yeah. have done it. Wouldn't have done it
0: I've I had good. so much – I've had You're the Voice stuck <laughs> in my head for, since I saw your film.
1: <laughs> Actually, it's great that's... timing for your film as well because after the big doc that came out a few months ago, mm. I think that was an important reminder of – of John Farnham's importance. Yeah. It's funny. When I went to see that doc, I went with my sister, and we thought it would be a bit of a laugh because John Farnham, you know, I oh, what a dork. And by the end of the film, we were just like, you know, he was really big in our childhood and yeah. respect. Yeah. Like, he, he worked hard, and those songs are great. Yeah. Who are we to look at him with irony.
0: Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> so I think
1: it's, it's good timing to be celebrating John Farnham.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> sure. I noticed that this is going to be big is uh, the school groups that are going to be uh, going along for this as well. Um, but it is screening this Wednesday, I the capital and there's going to be it's going to be followed by several regional screenings and then it's going to be back in melbourne for the 15th and the 20th of august and you're going to be there on
2: i will be present
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know um i couldn't finish without playing um a little bit of you're the voice uh but here's a little uh, taster for you all um and just to give the full details. Uh, Yes, so this regional, you can head to miff.com.au for more info and to book your tickets. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Thomas Coldwell and myself, Flick Plus, filmmakers Jay and Sean Perry, and Thomas Charles Highland. Now, Coldwater, it's set in St Kilda and it introduces us to retired couple. Joy and Murray, who are played by Deborah Kennedy and Bruce Spence, respectively. Mm -hmm. Um, Joy isn't just Murray's wife, she's also his carer and when he starts shooting birds in the backyard, the past begins to resurface in quite surprising ways. Um, Firstly, congratulations on your film. It's tremendous. Uh, It really is. It's stuck with me for a long time. Thank Thank you. you Thank you so
3: much. We. With this one, we've been developing it for so long. It's been, uh, what is it,
4: maybe three years, Jay? Oh, three Three years now, 2019 that I wrote it, the the first draft. And, yeah, we started submitting to screenplay competitions and it went really well overseas and and won at uh, Cinequest. uh, Mm. And then uh, got very high in uh, the Wii screenplay competition. uh, I think it was the top ten. And then uh, ScreenCraft as well. And then, yeah, we were able to sort of take that to uh, Creative Victoria and got some funding. So yeah. We did, yeah, we got uh, $40,000 from them, oh, which was absolutely oh, amazing. Wow. It was
3: incredible to get some some proper funding because the, the film previous to that um, we had made, which was uh, Intentions of F. Scott Fitzgerald, was done on maybe we self-funded it, maybe 7000 and oh, It was wow. sh- shot over 12 months. and oh, wow. <laughs> and it was just like continuity was a nightmare, obviously, uh, because, you know, we had our lead actor. He went to, I think, Bali, like... <laughs> Three or four times, they were like, "Laurie, please don't don't get a tan." That's
0: <laughs> hilarious. But before before we get into cold water, I like do a proper deep dive. we should mention that your film is being screened at MIF as part of the Accelerator Lab, um, along with a host of other short films. Can you explain for our listeners uh, what the MIF Accelerator Lab is?
4: Yeah, certainly. Um, it's 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 pretty incredible. Um, it's probably the best. Uh, Australian resource for, for new filmmakers um, in Australia. Um, a lot of our the favourite directors sort of started through this um, accelerator lab. Um, uh, Taika Watiki, for, yeah. for example, and uh, David McCord as well. David yeah. McCord, Justin Ketzel. Justin Ketzel as well. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just basically um, there's 12 of us this year, um, and we get sort of the biggest, um, a lot of the biggest sort of um, Australian. Filmmaker is sort of teaching us. Yeah. Uh, and there's sort of, a lot of workshops
3: and yeah. masterclasses and um, Q&As and conferences and seminars. And, yeah, it's just, mm. we're just so sort of humbled to be a part of it. Yeah. And just to be – we were looking through some of the, uh, our fellow filmmaker bios the other day and um, it was just – yeah, it was so humbling. There's so so incredible. Mm.
0: mm. And fantastic to just have that kind of melting pot of ideas Mm. to be in that space. And like you said, with the workshops and things like that, I think it's really well put together and – your film is going to be screened along with a collection of other short films, like I said, and there's filmmakers such as Derek Lynch, uh, Matthew Thorne, Paloma Schneiderman, uh, Annalise Hickey, lots of mm. others. Um, mm. So it's a great opportunity as well for spectators to be able to get a taste of I always think of the shorts as like a real pulse check on the future of cinema and where we're going, especially not just as like Australian cinema but international cinema. So it's a really exciting package. Um Now, writers are so often instructed to write what you know and it's so it's kind of surprising that as um, two young men, you tell such a nuanced and artful story of a couple kind of in the twilight years of their marriage. I understand that this film was inspired by true events. Talk us through that story.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this one, um, we actually, when we were kids, um, we, uh, our next-door neighbour... he was we, we befriended our next door neighbor. He was uh, he was about uh maybe would you say in his in seventies. Yeah. Uh, he was an ex principal, um ex police officer. Um and he was terrified because his mum and his father had both uh suffered with dementia and he was afraid that he was gonna get it um go down the same path. Yeah. And so he would play uh Nintendo 64. Zelda. He used to play Zelda. <laughs> um, and as as kids, we would go over there and, you know, he would, he'd need help with passing certain levels yeah, and, and yeah. things like that, so we would sort of help him out. Um, and then over time, you know, we became good friends with, um, with him. Uh, our parents became good friends with him. Uh, he was kind of like a chain-smoking armchair philosopher type guy. <laughs> yeah. um, but then eventually he kind of uh, – he told us a story um, from when he was a police officer in the late 60s, I think. It's something that he was a little bit ashamed of. Um,
4: when he, uh, yeah, in St Kilda, he used to patrol in St Kilda. Um,
3: and, yeah, it sort of revealed some of the darker histories of mm. St Kilda and it was something that sort of always stuck with us um, mm. and we always thought it'd be, it be was something that was a story that we thought needed telling.
0: Mm. I um, I was looking into I was looking through your um, Howling Jack Films, which is the production company that you both um, founded, and I I thought it was really interesting that you note on the website about... um, This is a quote from the website. Everyone sees the world in their own subjective windows, and when they watch a good film, it's generally because it's helped to nudge that window just a little wider. I wonder, what are some of the approaches that you take, either in storytelling or your filmmaking, that nudge the window open?
3: Um, I think it's... it's Purely by the result of uh, going into it with your own perspective, mm. I think as everyone as, as I, I sort of say in that quote that everyone has their own unique perspective, and um I mean any art form but film is one of those it it's kind of it's if when you're watching a a, a different perspective it's it's helping you nudge it it 's helping you find more understanding mm. of of something that otherwise
1: you
4: wouldn't have otherwise known or uh, mm. or Just lived you some, some insight into yeah. Different perspective yeah. Uh, which is,
1: Paramount, yeah, it's it's a really impressive film. Like I think you've nailed the art of the short film with this. When when I used to program shorts, my my pet hates were films that felt like sketch comedy, films that felt like pilots, mm. and films that just felt like the prologue for a feature they wanted to make. Like a short like a film, film should be a short work in its own mm. right that tells a full story, and you've done that. And and you you. you as a viewer, there were revelations that hit me watching this film that i wasn 't expecting that caught me off guard. And I found really powerful and tonal shifts that you really earn that mm. cause it, the film starts off I, I thought it was going to be one type of thing, it was something else and Thank you. um so this is very awkward for you i 'm just saying sitting here saying nice things but um, <laughs> but you, you, you know this is this is twenty minutes of a that feels more contained than some yeah, TV series. (laughs) That's so true. Seasons. There is such an incredible journey and, Yeah. um, yeah, just really, really impressive. And finding out that some of the incidents in the film are based on real stories... And therefore, the decisions you made about how to present those, I think, is also very sophisticated. It takes me back to what I was saying about Master Gardener. Actually, you've made very deliberate choices about what to focus on, and Mm. yeah, it just works. I have no question. That was a comment. I'm the worst Q&A guest ever. You are
0: no, but I I agree (laughs) with you, Thomas. And I think that that's what's so interesting about short films is the economy of storytelling. Mm. And you do a masterful job of of getting these characters across and and actually going into a bit of the history. It's really interesting hearing about some of the past of, of St Kilda. Mm, um, mm. And I think there is a real appetite for films about Melbourne. Um, yeah. So I think mm. that this will be really well placed. Um, we should mention that, of course, as part of Accelerator Lab, you're working on a film. Can you tell us a little bit about the next, uh, the feature film that you're yeah, working
3: on? Yeah, so, as, um, so in order to actually be a part of the Accelerator Lab, you need to not only submit the short film, but you have to have a, a feature film idea to, the, you'll submit with a pitch, an artistic statement um, and a synopsis. Um, and so this one, we uh, it's called and Aubrey and it's a crime drama, uh, which is a bit more of a personal story for us. Um, we, um, we kind of delve into uh, some of the more, um, how would you say, Jay? Um,
4: well, it's, it's sort of inspired by our, by our, our parents' um, childhoods. They both actually suffered quite a bit of abuse growing up uh, and the sort of the different ways that they dealt with that. So our dad kind of went more into uh, violence and a little bit of, yeah, you know, uh, joined a gang and then our mum actually um, uh, dissociated from her trauma and repressed the memories. Mm. Um, so that's – we, we were sort of inspired by that with this story. Yeah, that,
3: and the crux of the idea came from with this particular film was, you know, we were fortunate in the fact that our parents, you know, they – they got therapy and you know, they've, they've, they've um, come to sort of confront a lot of their traumas um, through therapy. Um, but we wanted to see what would have happened if they'd gone down another path and mm. they went more down the path of something which I think is a bit more you know, toxic, which would be retribution.
0: Oh, that um, sounds really interesting. And so, yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of um, a comment that Emil Corton Wilson, the filmmaker, ma- made about his film Hail, where he said the mm. first half of his film is what happened, and then the second half is what happens if that violence was externalised. And I exactly, thought that's, yeah, that's such an of interesting setup. We
3: yeah.
0: mm. mm. um, I'm very excited to see what happens with Joel and Aubrey. Um, we should mention you're identical twins or yes so
2: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> how, long you,
0: <laughs> how long have you been working together as a creative duo uh,
3: we actually started uh very young um primary school we were wow. like i can remember uh you know you'd have your reading time in primary yeah. school and um we started getting a bit tired of the books that we had Paul Jennings Um, was great. Paul Jennings, you know. Oh, Paul Jennings. (laughs) Saved
1: all our childhoods, I think. Um, Yeah.
3: And then, uh, so we started writing our own stories, and our teacher um, was kind enough to actually allow us to keep those books in the classroom. Um, And so uh, our classmates would read them, and then we started writing stories about our classmates, like pets and their dogs and (laughs) things like that. And then it moved on to writing plays to sort of perform, and then we got a hold of. microsoft powerpoint started making animations and, oh, wow. and then finally when we had some money we were able to get a little handy cam and started making short stories short films and yeah and things like that and it sort of just kept going and then it got more and more expensive
4: yeah
0: well i'm glad then that you've got some funding for cold water and also for the for what will happen with your feature um Cold Water is going to be screening uh, at Mif as part of the Accelerator Lab shorts package this Wednesday and also on Saturday the 19th of August plus on Mif Play which is great because then you know people who can't make it in can can still catch it on Mif Play which goes yeah. until the 27th of August um, so yeah well worth checking out Thanks for listening to Primal Screen a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R